You're listening to The Real Foster Parents of Colorado. I'm Hope, and I started Foster Together Colorado to meet the needs I saw in my first three years as a foster mom. My theory, and it has proven true so far, is that if we make it easy to learn about the human stories of foster care, then good-hearted Coloradans will be ready to help in simple ways. This is the only podcast focused on foster parenting or child welfare in Colorado. Our goal is to make foster care fascinating by stories from neighbors to neighbors and living room conversations. This podcast is the next best thing to meeting a foster parent in real life and asking them all those questions. How do you make it work? Don't you get attached? What's it like when they leave? This is episode three. I'm talking with my friends, Justin and Megan. We actually sat down in their living room to have this conversation. And the reason I wanted to talk to them is even from the first time I heard from them and they shared their story with me, um, I started asking questions about their first case and they said it did not turn out the way they'd hoped it turned out. It would turn out. It turned out in a way that they actually thought was not the best interest of the children. And I actually have talked to other foster parents who have had one case or maybe two cases and then they decide to stop fostering because they've seen outcomes that they see they see as harmful to the kids and these are not just foster parents that are hoping to adopt the child and then they don't get to but they're genuinely concerned about the child's safety after the decision that's been made by usually by the judge and so I also know that in Colorado we tend to keep I think the statistics from the Department of Human Services say that we keep our foster parents for about two years on average before they quit and I know that some of those people throwing in the towel earlier than the system would hope they would are doing it because of frustration with how how these outcomes turn out and they are not wanting to be part of something that they think gives kids the short end of the stick. They wanted to do this to help kids and now they're seeing something harmful coming out of it, in their opinion. So I wanted to ask Justin and Megan, why didn't you guys quit? Why did you keep going? And now that you've had, now that you have a second case going on, what has been better in that case that has improved the experience for you and your trust that, that this child that you have now will have a better outcome? than the one you had before. So let's listen to their story and let's see what we could learn from it. Welcome to the podcast, Justin and Megan. Hi. Thanks for having us. Okay, so I want to get started right away with talking about your motivations for being a foster parent couple and how you decided to do this. Lots of couples talk about adoption and foster care and ways they can volunteer together even and what were your motivations? What's your story? How did you get into this? Um, so I was a social worker um, for foster care in Philadelphia a long time ago. Um, and it was my first job right out of college. And I really loved it. Unfortunately, I burned out after about a year and a half because it was a, a very difficult job. Um, but I would have taken home any of my 18 children if I could have. Um, and, you know, I've been asked the question of, don't you want to have your own children? And I always knew that I wanted to foster or adopt um, instead. Um, and that that would be like your own children. It is your own children. That is your own children, yes. Yes. But um, a lot of people have asked me, how can you love a child the same if it's not from your your body, if you didn't bring mm-hmm. it? And, um, and, you know, I... 
I didn't have that. I don't have that experience of birthing my own children, so I'm not missing anything. I don't. I don't know what that's like, so I'm not missing it. So I always knew that that was my my route. And um, when I met Justin, we had a pretty serious conversation a few years in. Yep. Um, about he didn't think that he wanted to have children. And I said, that's fine. I don't need to birth children, but we will have them. <laughs> Which I didn't know was an option. <laughs> you didn't think of foster care no, as an option no. or, or adoption even? Right. Interesting. Yeah. So he was slow to get on board, but now he is super foster dad. <laughs> and he's involved he in is. everything and, um, and, and more involved than I am. So, And that's actually funny because I was going to mention that the the reason I met Justin and Megan is because when I first started Foster Together, we had a basic simple format just to help us get to know who are the foster parents in the state that might want to be involved. Um, you might, people listening might be surprised to know that um, there's not really one place that foster parents can know to congregate. We have um, the Foster Parent Association, which is been a wonderful resource and we'll link to their Facebook group for any foster parents who are currently certified in Colorado. Um, but not even all foster parents know about that yet. And there's other, there are other places that we congregate in our own counties or in our own agencies, but there's not one single place where we all know to go yet. So thankful for the foster parent association getting that started. And that's actually probably where we first connected Justin. Um, but we put out that basic form and he filled it out and I said, this is so unique. I'd never hear from foster dads. I always hear from foster moms. So that was something that caught my attention. And then Justin and I are now on the foster parent steering committee, trying to help, um, the Colorado department of human services, make improvements and changes to the system for kids. And um, we're also just both pretty active in, all three of us now are pretty active in trying to help out. Um, and we'll talk more about what Megan and Justin have started at the end of this episode. But so we know, Megan, you were a social worker, so you probably relate to some of the things that the social workers we have in our homes um, experience. For sure. And I think it's it's a really difficult job, um, and everybody goes into it because they have empathy and they want to help people. Um, but unfortunately, I, I feel like there might be a lack of training. There's really no way to train people for what they see, what they see, mm. and they what experience. they experience, and and, and the weight of trying to help families and make decisions that are going to affect people's lives. Um, so I, I think that it's, it's a very difficult job. And a lot of times foster parents have a negative experience with caseworkers. Um, but you know, being on the other side, I can see how difficult it is to manage such a high caseload and to experience the, the daily trauma of yes. being a caseworker. It's such a good point that you can't train for that. You can't, you can know procedures, you can know basic, even trauma informed care and ways to help people through a crisis, but you can't really train yourself for the effect it has on your own heart or your own emotions. And 
I think it speaks to the depth of the problem we have when kids are being abused or neglected that sometimes there's just no perfect way to fix it. There's, it's such a deep problem that even the best trained social worker is going to have a problem or the best trained foster parent. That's what I found in my own home, um, can, can have trouble. It's just that difficult of a problem. So moving from that to your first case, um, I know your first case wasn't a great experience. Your first case is actually the kind of thing that would make a lot of people just say, you know, this is too much. This is, they're asking way too much of us. And, um, we were not treated with dignity or respect and, and, and to, to come to the end of the case, as you guys have shared with me before thinking that, um, the best interest of the child probably didn't happen. And so I want to preface this question by saying that Foster Together is known for being a positive storytelling force in the state, trying to use stories in a good way to create change. Um, And even though this part of your story isn't a positive, great experience, I think it can help us by learning from it. it. We can we can lead to better stories for you and for other people by using your story to um, help people see what could be changed. So tell me what went wrong in your first case. What was not ideal in this experience that you would like to avoid in the future? Um, I think <clears throat> what went poorly was, um, to sum it, summarize it, would be a lack of boundaries Hmm. and um and I'll go into specifics a little bit later but in order to control those factors we've actually we haven't had a lot of control in changing our current case because which is a more positive experience so far very very positive so you've had your one your first case was not a great experience your second case was has been yes that would be a good way to say it got it Mm -hmm. um but we haven't had to control the factors as much. We haven't had to set boundaries because they've been set for um, they've set been set for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a very confident and experienced team, an amazing GAL, a wonderful caseworker, really great CASA worker, and um, everybody has been really a unified front in what's best for the child. Um, and you know, seeing that we haven't had to set boundaries or say no or put our foot down Mm -hmm. at all because this is the way that it should work. So we've had a really positive experience, which has helped us kind of look back at um, what, what should happen in foster care the way that it should be. And our first experience was a first of many things. It was a first working with this side of DHS for both of us. And DHS, we should clarify, because we use these terms all the time, but the listeners, um, hopefully we have listeners who are totally new to this world, and DHS is the Department of Human Services, which is the larger agency that's responsible for many social services, but in our case, um, responsible for child welfare, and so they're the ones who say, there's a reason this child needs to be um, supervised more or um, in a foster home, because there's neglect or abuse happening. Yep. So, so yes, being on DHS. this side of the DHS, mm-hmm. it's different. You know, as a caseworker, I worked on the other side. Um, it was the first experience for us as being foster parents, and it was the first experience as being parents. 
So, um, so we were kind of brand new to all of this and it was a lot of transition for us. They, we received a lot of training, but, um, just like being a caseworker, there's no training that can prepare you Mm -hmm. for all of the gray areas. Um, you know, appropriate relationships with the biological parents, medical emergencies, personal safety concerns, all of these things were something that you can't train a person on because there's so many different circumstances. Mm-hmm. There's no blanket solution. Um, but we now know that um, if we feel uncomfortable, if we feel unsafe, or if we feel like we need an advocate that we can ask. And um, the biggest advocate for us in our current case is our CPA. And what's a CPA? Child Placement Agency. Okay, and what do they do? They um, kind of sit somewhere between um, the counties, which mm-hmm. can also certify foster foster homes. Okay. They certify foster homes, and they also can kind of um, sit between counties and, you know, private agencies in, in a way, um, and they're kind of positioned where they're getting similar referrals and things like that for foster care. Um, they're going to certify your house the same way, and they're going to kind of oversee you know, the foster children that are in, in your home as an, a kind of adjunct agency to so, the county. So they're somewhat responsible for you being quality parents and for the children being cared yes, for correctly? Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you're with, you, now, you said something that's great about your current case is that you have a CPA. So that means you were, your first case, you'd say you were certified with the county. Correct. Is that right? right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and we felt that that the county um, at times had pressured us into um, maybe taking things that we weren't comfortable with. Okay. Um, our CPA is is totally fine with us taking what we're comfortable with because if it's a good fit for the child, it's a good fit for the family. Um, so That probably means that you'll have an overall more successful case if you have um, a child with needs that you're able to meet. Every, right? Everyone will be more successful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And okay. we'd like to avoid disruption. So, um, and what's a disruption? That a ch- child um, is moved. So, you know, that's the last thing that we... Oh, so when we hear, oh, this child was bounced from 15 different foster homes in five years, that's a, that's a lot of disruptions then? Okay. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid that. A so disruption is a nice word for <laughs> for what it really is. Yeah. Um, so we now know from, you know, our previous case, we were delegated with supervising visitation, um, and that shouldn't have happened. Okay. Um, in the future, you know, visitation we know should not solely depend on a supervisor's Mm -hmm. schedule. Um, so are you saying that you learned maybe the proper role of what a foster parent should be responsible for and what you can say yes and no to? Yes. For okay. Sure. We learned a lot of that. And, and now since then, we've obviously, with a different experience, we've learned more of what our rights are and what our voice can be and mm-hmm. who's going to listen and who should be listening. Uh-huh. Um, so you're almost growing your backbone correct. as you go. Yes. Right. And, and had we had a very easy case that we have now as our first experience, uh-huh. Um, we likely wouldn't have ever learned any of that. Yeah. Um, because it would, you know, we're like, oh, well, this is, oh, this is just how it works. It's just you go to court and this is mm-hmm. how it happens and it's this easy. Whereas, um, you know, it's actually not that easy. And we both really feel um, that if we hadn't had the first negative experience, 
we wouldn't be able to appreciate the positive experience that we've had now. Yeah. Um, that's really been something we've thought a lot about for sure. And Justin, if you could boil it down into the difference between the cases, would you say it is the, the, it's obviously your backbone growing and you guys knowing what you can stand up for or ask for or demand even in your own, in your own needs. Um, but would you say that it has to do with the specific people that were responsible for keeping the wheels turning on each case? I think it has to do with kind of two factors. I think the people, Mm -hmm. um, and, um, the team that we're dealing with previously and the team we're dealing with now. And then I also think it, um, because of our experience, we really sought you know, sought out support. We became more informed about what should and shouldn't happen, how things are supposed to be run. And we kind of sought out, you know, even though it kind of fell into our laps, we really would be seeking out a team like this because Hmm. this is how it's supposed to be. Yes. Theoretically, um, when you write it all down on paper and you write a series of laws, this is how it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes it isn't. We're we're not alone in thinking that. Uh Um, We're not alone in facing the challenges. And we feel much more, just much more supported overall um, by both our case team and then just the supports we found externally as well, like this group. Yes, yes. That's what we hope to be. Um, So just to give people, if they are brand new to the foster care world, give people a little bit of a taste of who is on that case team and what they are supposed to be doing. Sure. So typically, um, every child or children that are in placement are going to be assigned a caseworker or social worker um, by the county. Um, and those people are, are responsible for overseeing both the, the welfare of the children, um, the therapy, all, getting all the services provided and that sort of thing, as well as um, services for bio, biological parents in need, mm-hmm. um, you know, overseeing that. They're also responsible for reporting to the court and providing updates about, you know, where we're at with the case and how the progress is being made or isn't being made. Mm -hmm. There's also a GAL, which is a guardian ad litem, um, which is a fancy term for legal um, advocate for the children. Okay. Um, Is it like a lawyer for the kid? It it is a lawyer. It acts as a lawyer for the kid. Okay. It acts in the best interest for the child or children. Okay. um, So making the argument that this child needs this thing. Correct. And they are a very strong voice, typically, in the courtroom Mm -hmm. um, and um, have legal responsibilities as as such. And then you have, um, typically you have a CASA worker, which is a um, court-appointed special advocate. um, And they're generally, they're volunteers who are kind of acting as a third-party observer um, to support the children um, in their foster placement, Mm -hmm. support bio families as needed as well. And also they report to the court as well. And... um, they're again volunteers, so they um, they're really kind of important people to the case for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the and the unique thing about the the CASA volunteers is that they have usually one or two cases at a time, Correct. rather than the the people from the county having ten, fifteen, twenty, yeah. and the GALs having the same amount. Okay. More. more. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And would you say that the the quality of your case is often determined then by how um, able or well-trained or with a caseload of the, those professionals? Absolutely. I would, yeah, unfortunately, that's definitely true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just going to vary by who who ends up with you. 
But I mean, through this case with this really dynamic team that we currently have, Uh we know what help is available Uh and we know what services are available and we know what we can and cannot ask for. Um, where I feel like that guidance was lacking in our initial case. So what if you had another case that was somewhat similar to your first case as far as the team goes? Do you do you have a sense that because you've had a great experience, you could then go into another case that maybe wasn't set up for... A, I think we would definitely grade. advocate for ourselves much more. Yeah. And I feel like the resources that we have um, come across within this past year, especially with Foster Together... Um, we won't feel like an island mm-hmm. like by ourselves. So you would say island. it felt it felt isolating in your oh, first absolutely. case. Absolutely, okay. And we were we lived in a different county than our children uh-huh. were placed out of. Uh huh. So, um, so yeah, we were definitely in an island. So tell me more about feeling isolated. Did you, was that because you didn't have friends who did foster care? You didn't have other foster parents to talk to? We didn't know about the support groups that were available that we know about now. Mm-hmm. Um, the Color State Foster Parent Association being one. Yes. In particular, that's been very valuable. Um, the state in, the, in this interim period between our placements started doing town halls. Yes. And, and looking for people who were specifically um, per willing to provide feedback mm-hmm. uh, about their experiences, which has been really positive. Mm-hmm. Um, just getting some of that off your chest is very helpful mm-hmm. to people, remove people who understand. Um, we definitely, we, we felt very isolated, but I think now we know where to turn, who to go to, who to talk to, um, and feel that we can also in turn now, because uh, again, because of our both positive and negative experience, hopefully can provide you know, be a resource for other people as well mm-hmm. to bounce things off of. And, and um, you know, there's a lot of very strong voices in foster care in Colorado on more and more each day, which is really important. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to hear the different experiences for sure and understand what, um, you know, that we should all, we, we're all the same mind that we should all be having, especially the kids in care should be having a unique, I mean, not a, not a unique experience. They should be having a very similar positive A experience. unified. Correct repeatable, yes. testable yeah. experience. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And that's, I'll just give another plug for the Colorado State Foster Parent Association, bringing us together on, on their, their online page because we're able to, I mean, I feel like Justin and I, you, are, you and I are both on that page daily probably talking about, okay, how do I serve this child's parents in a way that doesn't con- conflict my interest in the case, but um, helps them hopefully break a cycle and helps them get their kid back right. if they're ready for that. Sure. Um, or we talk about, you know, and, and what's legal in this state to do in that. What are, am I allowed to meet with that parent? And ob- by the way, the answer is yes, you are allowed to meet with that parent unless there's a specific order against it. Um, and we talk about uh, things like, where can I get a car seat? I, I'm picking up a baby in one hour. Is there someplace I can get a car seat? And if we didn't have a place like that, I can see it feeling very isolating for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. And I hope, I just hope we build more and more of that yep. um, as we go. We both agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So any other thoughts on why you didn't quit foster care after that first time? Was that a, was that a thought in your mind after that experience were you just so heartbroken that you thought I can't do this again we talked about that 
a few times mm-hmm. for sure. I think, uh, at least from, from my perspective and what we've spoken about, um, is that, you know, we, we knew that how, if we were to do it again, we knew what we wanted to be different. Got it. And again, that really, that having that experience informed that. So, you know, at this moment in time where really have the mindset that this happened for a reason mm-hmm. and that we now are in a position where we can be the strong advocates that we, we wanted to be the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's at least my opinion. And I think Megan shares that. I, we, um, we definitely needed time to heal. Yeah. Um, How much time did you take off? Well, we also moved. Okay. <laughs> we, so. moved, we moved and then we certified with a new agency. So it was about um, uh, four or five months. Okay. Yeah. And you felt like you were just catching your breath in yep. that time, emotionally healing. Absolutely. That okay. was the biggest, that's the biggest part I think every every foster parent should think about is um, we never once had the concern of not being able to connect with the children. Yeah. Um, that was instant. Um, that sh- hopefully if you're in foster care, that's something that you're, you know, that you want to seek yeah. out um, in particular. But that was by far the hardest part. All the case mm-hmm. and all the legal wrangling and all that stuff doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the day, when those two little faces are in a car and they're, you know, headed back and you're never prepared for it. And people who have biological children, they lost a child. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing I can compare it to. Uh Um, so, um, we definitely needed that time to, to, um, grieve, grieve and reconnect. Yeah. And we were just in the military with the the place that we had and it was Uh running around crazy, just like all parents are. And we just didn't. Even we had to get our feet back under us, I think, at that point. I think moving forward, I mean, as broken as any system is, it's not the children's fault. Right. And, um, you know, as frustrated as we might have been with different processes or transitions, um, you can't blame the children in that. And you can't shut the door on all children because there's breaks along the way. It's not their fault. So, um, yeah. You know, Justin brings this up a lot, and I don't know who said it, and I don't know if it was Gandhi, but (laughs) the true measure of any society can be found in how it treats the most vulnerable members. And I Mm -hmm. think that's really true, um, that as a society, we just need to do better. And no child asks to be born drug addicted. No child asks to be born into a home of abuse or Mm -hmm. domestic violence or neglect. Um, So we can't just keep closing the door on this. We were recently in a roundtable meeting and um, Justin had asked how many of the the foster parents there uh, were taking care of children of previous foster children Mm. so generational foster children almost everybody raised their hand so it's a systematic problem and it's just continuing and continuing because of all the problems so you know we can't fix everything and there's no blanket solution but we want to make a dent and we want to help at the very least the children that come into our homes so um so that's why we keep doing it um and I think with any parenting if you ask a parent is your job fun every day (laughs) they're probably not going to say yes right um there are challenges of being a foster parent that maybe you won't have as a bio parent but any parent foster biological will say that parenting is the most 
challenging but most rewarding job or thing that they've ever done. And I think that we can say the same, even though um, we weren't happy with the outcome of yeah. the first case, it was the most rewarding thing we've ever done. Wow. Yep. So Very true. And it continues to be. And and that connection with the kids is, is so rewarding. And so I always tell people this is like the age of, both bemoaning and being addicted to technology. And I, th- I think foster care has saved me from the disconnection that is just endemic right now. And you're, you can't, you know, there's no technological solution to foster care. There is only family. Mm-hmm. There is only humanity. There is only being close enough to give that kid a hug when they don't feel safe. And um, I I completely hear you guys on that, that that's been the most rewarding. And something else I, I want Foster Together to be about is, and the reason I want us to be positive and I want us to be solutions-oriented is because I'm finding these foster parents and the, the uniting thread in all of us is that we're not willing to leave kids alone in a broken system. And we say... I can deal with that. I can, as, as far as I am able, I can. And I, I also want to make it clear that I don't fault those foster parents who've said, you know what, this is, this is actually too much for our family. This has put our family through too much, especially when perhaps one spouse is saying that. Mm-hmm. I think you need to defer to the, the I don't want to say the lowest common denominator. You want to defer to the person who is not comfortable with that. Um, and, and, and we also want to provide ways for people to keep their, their toes in the water and keep themselves in the, in the world of foster care without maybe being a foster parent if they want that option. Because I admit it's, it's totally, there are some cases where it's just quite messed up and it'll put your family through too much. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I want to, I want to say that for those families who have said, this is not this is not for us. And I, and I also want to say thank you to those foster parents who have, um, figured out a way to, as you guys have said, grow that backbone that is absolutely required or just to say, here's how this is going to go in this case. Well, and, and I think the perspective that we've gathered from our experience and from, from others experience that we've spoken to is that no matter how bad it is for us, if we continue to focus on the fact that it's probably 10 times worse for the kids. Mm-hmm. And if they weren't in our home and we weren't struggling and all this stuff, they're still in a better place, mm-hmm. generally. They're still experiencing a more consistent lifestyle and a more healthy lifestyle, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, that's being provided by foster parents. And and if we can kind of just continue to keep the focus on the kids, mm-hmm. um, that's what really got us through mm-hmm. our previous cases. No matter, you know, what would their life be like if we weren't here? If we, all this stuff aside... Let's focus on that, and that really helped to get us through the struggle of the case, and it helped us to really see the light on this new case, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of our, if there's any advice, um, that's our biggest thing, is mm-hmm. no matter how bad it is for us, it's, it could always be worse for the kids, mm-hmm. and that's why, that's what keeps us going. Right, because they... knowing we made an impact sure. during that time that they were in our care, yeah. um, you know, their life would have been much different if they weren't, so... So knowing that there was a positive change that we made to their lives, that in the very least yeah. gives us For the solid. whole family, for the kids and for the bio parents, yeah. the whole family, we can you know sleep at night and say, 
everyone's okay. Mm-hmm. That's really encouraging mm-hmm. to know. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. yeah. And Megan, you said earlier that you have to realize going into foster care that you can't fix everything. Yes. And that's something I realized on one of my, actually my last case that I had with a young boy. And I kept, I kept, you know, my friends would say things to me like, you're making such an impact. You're making such a difference on him. And a lot of days it feels like you're not because you, you say, I've got six months with this kid. He's about to hit being a teenager. And I don't feel like I'm making much of a difference, but, um, what, what my husband and I ended up doing to cope with that, that feeling of not doing enough is just saying today, he knows he's safe. Today, he knows he's loved. And what we've learned in our foster care training, which has all been something called trauma-informed care, which is about how um, the brain needs nurturing to develop correctly, is that in those formative years, all the way up till your brain is fully developed when you're an adult, um, those periods of time matter because they will shape and they will reshape and they will heal the brain. Um, and so it's... it's a drop, you know, it's a drop in the bucket, a bunch of drops in the bucket. It's as much as it is for that day. And it feels exhausting and it feels thankless, but Mm -hmm. it really is making an impact. Um, and that actually ties in with my current profession because I'm a teacher and, um, and I have to say, you know, it's those children that are the most challenging, that the behaviors that frustrate me the most and that, you know, leave me ripping out my hair at the end of the day. Um, they're the ones that always come back, always stop in my classroom after they're in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And they stop in, they give me hugs or they share their birthday treats. And um, they're the ones that have, you know, a special place for me forever because I know even though they didn't show me in second grade that I was making an impact, they show me years and years and years later. Um, So I think that that kind of ties into being a foster parent as well because you don't feel like you're making an impact and you feel like you're being challenged and you feel like you're, you're making it worse sometimes no matter how hard you try. And it's really making an impact and they just don't know how to tell you most of the time. Yeah. Thanks for listening to The Real Foster Parents of Colorado. Before you go, I have to say this. I don't want to miss out on connecting with even one person who is paying attention to the needs of our kids here in Colorado. So will you do me a favor? Go to fostertogether.co and look for an event near you or sign up for our weekly story emails. We're also running a fun Father's Day campaign where you can sponsor a project in your dad's name, whether that's a story about the power of dads in a kid's life, a monthly meal delivery for a foster family, or a whole group of new foster parent helpers. Whether your budget is $20 or $250, we've got you covered, and we can help you give meaningful thanks to a dad in your life. Loving, involved parents create irreplaceable stability for kids. So what better way to honor your dad than by empowering the next generation of dads and moms, giving their time and energy to kids in the foster care system. Go to fostertogether.co slash dad to sponsor a project for a dad you love.